Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you are distinguished as a believer there's something special about you you need to start living like there's something special about you there's this story that i heard once a bible commentator wrote and i looked for it i couldn't find it but the story goes like this that there was this young woman in this in this Middle Eastern town and this was in ancient days and it was when marriages were really more arranged than they are even to today although that still happens in parts of the world and she hadn't yet been married there wasn't someone who had taken her hand because she was kind of homely looking she was just kind of average there was nothing real special about her and so she had kind of just resigned herself to the fact that I'm never going to be wed and one day a traveler came into the city and this young woman caught this traveler's eye and this traveler thought so much of this young lady that this traveler goes to the father and says to the father, I want to take your daughter as my bride. How much would you expect for me to give for you? I'll give you up to 20 camels for your daughter. And you might think, though, this is kind of an insulting if you're a, a woman here today, right? But this, this young lady hears this. And the father thinks to himself, this is amazing. I've really, I can't believe this guy came in. I can't believe he's willing to offer me 20 camels. The most anyone in our town has ever received is five camels. And this guy's going to give me 20 camels. And so he shakes hands. He sends his daughter to be wed to this man. And he, she goes back with him to their home. Years later, this woman returns to her village, the village in which she was raised, and she comes into the city, and everyone's there looking at her, and they can't believe, look at this beautiful woman that has come in riding on the back of a camel into our city, and everyone wants to know in this village who this woman is. No one recognizes her. And she gets down off the camel, and she explains who it is. Even her father didn't recognize her because of her great beauty and splendor. What had changed? Finally, there was someone in her life that looked at her and saw value in her, and it literally changed her life. It changed who she was. It even changed her appearance. My friends, do you not understand the value that you have? Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay his life down for his friends. Do you realize how loved you are this morning? God didn't give 20 camels. God gave his son dying lifeless on a cross so that you could have a relationship with him. That is your value. But my fear is that there are so many that are not living like that's your value today. What more could God have given to prove to you his great love? It says there that he distinguished himself in Daniel chapter 6, and that he had this excellent spirit. Again, he was in communication 
with the gods. Now, over and over throughout the Old Testament, you can see these moments where the Spirit of God, and this is how it's often described, the Spirit of God rushed upon people and anointed them with great power. You see this in the life of Samson. You see this in the life of Joshua. You see this in the life of David, where the Holy Spirit rushes upon them and empowers them to do incredible, miraculous things, right? Here's the thing, Daniel had this same miraculous power where this Holy Spirit would come upon him. But here's the beautiful thing that I want you to understand this morning, dear friends, dear church, is the same spirit that rushed upon Samson and he tore apart a lion limb from limb, the same spirit that rushed upon Samson and he slayed a thousand Philistines with just the jawbone of a donkey. The same spirit that rushed upon David and allowed David to slay the giant Goliath. That same spirit is available to dwell within you today if you'll just receive it. I quote this verse often. It's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But I quote it often because I think this is the space that we as believers must be living in. Jesus promised before his ascension to heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Spirit rushes upon you. You can live with the same Spirit. You can be distinguished in the same way. You have great value. You're the apple of God's eye. You're his prized special possession. He wants his Spirit to be dwelling within you, empowering you, enabling you to do amazing things that give testimony to the glory, the grandeur, and the greatness of God if you'll just receive that Spirit. See, it's not so much that God doesn't have enough Spirit to pour out on us. The issue is is that we put our hands over the cup and we say, God, I've had enough. This is what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give a strong support, to show himself strong on those whose heart is blameless towards him. God wants to show himself strong through you. His eyes are seeking, searching for you. We mentioned this verse a few weeks back. The Father wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you being a wicked servant know how to give good gifts to your children, a wicked father, how much more so the Heavenly Father would want to give you the Holy Spirit if you will just ask Him. So what does this tell me? This tells me that if you're not dwell and dwelt with the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is not Not only in you, because as believers, the Spirit is in you, but I want the Spirit to be upon you. If the Spirit is not upon you, the reason it's not upon you is because you haven't asked. Because Jesus said, if you will ask, he will give you the Spirit. It's time we start asking. See, there's a difference. There's this space that we operate in. And and sometimes as Christians, sometimes as believers, especially in America, we get comfortable with knowing that the Spirit of God is in me. But I want the Spirit of God to be on me. Right? I don't want to just have the Spirit. I want the Spirit to have me. Right? That's how these men and women are able. That's how a young lady, 16 years old, she's able to have a gun pointed to her head and she still praises God. Why? Because it's not just that she has the Spirit. The Spirit had her. She knew that she knew. So Daniel here, he something special. He's distinguished. He has an excellent spirit. He's indwelt with the Spirit of God. And so the king says, you're special, so special, I want to set you over the entire kingdom. And this causes a target to be put on Daniel's back. And now if you're taking notes, second point here I want you to write down is there's the deception of man. 
And the first way that man is deceived here that we can see is these leaders, these other satraps, these other uh, high officials, right? They're all grieved because Daniel's getting the attention and it causes them to be envious of Daniel's position. What is envy? Envy is to be covetous of someone else's power, position, or possessions. Okay, did you hear that? To envy is to be covetous of someone else's power, position, or possessions. That you want for yourself what someone else has. That's what it means to envy. And where envy is so dangerous is it not only wants what someone else rightfully deserves, but it just, it just doesn't want them to have it. It doesn't even matter that you have their power and their position and their possessions necessarily. I just don't want them to have it. You guys remember when your kids and your, when you had little kids in the house, right? And inevitably someone would come crying because a toy was taken from another. And really, they didn't care about the toy. They just didn't want their brother or sister to be happy, right? That's what's happening here in the hearts of these men. They're so enraged, they're so overtaken with envy that they devised this plan. And it says there that they couldn't find a reason, an accusation to bring against Daniel. That's the kind of life Daniel was living. There was nothing that they could accuse Daniel of according to secular law. Nothing. Right? The scripture says as elders that we're supposed to be blameless. Scripture says as deacons that they should be above reproach. That we as Christians should live our lives differently than the rest of the world. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Again, he's speaking to believers. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the, on the day of visitation. Keep your lifestyle honorable. The word honorable means good. Literally, it means beautiful. Live a beautiful life in front of the unbelievers so that if they try to bring an accusation against you, they have no opportunity, no option, but to give God glory because of all of the good things you're doing in life. That's what Peter says. That's how we should be living as believers, right? I, I, I know this for a fact, that there are far too few beautiful, good lives being lived outside these walls, and I want a purpose in my life to be just one of those lives. That's all I can be uh, expected, right? Just one life, just my life, just this life. Lord, I just want this life to be honorable. I just want this life to be good and to be beautiful and to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Just this life. And all you're responsible for is just your life, right? So here, they, they, they can't bring an accusation. There's nothing that they can do. Look at this. Again, we as believers, we're called to live differently. First Peter chapter 4. He says this, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Don't live after pleasure, but live after God's will. Seek after that. For the time is past and it suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, in passions, in drunkenness, in orgies, in drinking parties, in lawless idolatry, all manner of sorts of sin. With respect to these, they are surprised. Literally in the Greek, they are amazed. They are dumbfounded when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They talk about you behind your back because you won't join in in the sin party. Now, I don't know, do we have these stats that we can bring up here? I wanted to point this out because this text says 
uh, quite specifically, that we should be living differently. We shouldn't join the world in its debauchery. We shouldn't join the world in the sin. But look at these statistics between just uh, uh, adults that are outside of Christ or not in Christ and Christians in, in, in the church. Look at this. Now, these stats are taken from various sources. A lot of different uh, you know, a lot of different sources have different stats. So this is the best we could compile. Angel, help me with this. Look at this. Gambling, 61% of an, uh, the unbelieving world is involved in it, 45% of Christians. Cohabitation, living with someone you're not married with, 60% uh, of the world, 49% of the church. Lust, 59% of the unbelieving world, 49% of the church. Fornication, sex outside of marriage, 42% of the unbelieving world, 35% within the church. Pornography, uh, 38% and 28%. Profanity, 36 and 29. Drunkenness, 35 and 24. Homosexuality, 30 and 20. Drug abuse, 17 and 11. Abortion, 45 and 33. Divorce, 45, 47. You see that? Some places even say that there's the divorce is more prevalent within the church than even in the world. Overwhelming debt, 50% to 33%. Peter says, you should be living differently. Your conduct should be honorable. Your lifestyle should be beautiful. What is the world to think when they look at the church and they see the church living the same way that they do, in the same sin, with the same disgusting habits, the same lifestyle of sin, following and flooding with the debauchery of the world? What would the world think? Why would the world ever want what we have if we look just like them. Daniel looked different. Daniel stood out. He distinguished himself. It says that they couldn't bring an accusation against him because he was faithful, trustworthy. The Bible says that all that is required in a servant is that they be found faithful. And we spend our lives trying to find out from the Lord, God, what do you want me to do in life? What do you want me to do with this life? All you need to do, if, if you can lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day and you can feel, God, I was faithful with the gifts that, you give me, that you've given me. I was faithful with the voice that you've given me. I was faithful with the goods that you've entrusted to my care. I was faithful with the children that you gave to me to care for. If you can lay your hand head at the, the pillow at the end of the day and just say, God, I've been faithful today, that's all God wants from you. God doesn't say you need to read this much in the Bible. God doesn't say you need to give this much towards charity. God doesn't say you have to volunteer this much. God just says, just aim to be faithful. Daniel was faithful, and because he was faithful, they couldn't bring an accusation against him. They actually said, if we're going to find some accusation to bring against him, we're going to have to make up a way for him to be in trouble. We're going to have to find something in, in his law, the law of his God, that we can accuse him of. So they devised this plan, and they go to the king, and they say to the king, we want for you to make a law that no one can pray except to you, O king, for 30 days. Right? That's what they're doing. Now, now understand, here's, this is another way man is deceived. That envy deceives us, right? It, it gets us to get our eyes off of the Lord and we start coveting what other people want. But then there's this, also this sin of pride that really does deceive us. And so the king, what they do is they appeal to his pride through flattery. No one should be asking of any God anything except for you, O king. What are they doing? They're calling the king a God on earth. We respect you as a God, and we want people to come and to pray to you. And guess what? It works. The king listens, and he buys into this. 
We accept to you, O king, no one should ask a thing. The fact of the matter is we like to believe that we don't struggle with the sin of pride, don't we? But pride is the most dangerous of all the sins. You realize it's pride that caused God to cast Satan from heaven, Lucifer from heaven? It was pride. Satan, Lucifer said, I will ascend to the throne of the Lord and receive his worship. And he was cast from heaven. You realize it was pride in the garden that caused Adam and Eve to partake of the forbidden fruit. Eve said, I can be like God. I can have his knowledge. And she partakes of the fruit. It's pride that causes issues in your home. When you think of yourself more than you think of your spouse. When you think of yourself more than you think of your children. It's pride that tears families and nations and and, and societies apart. It is pride. And we like to think that I don't struggle with pride. You know how you can tell right away how big of an issue pride is that we think of ourselves more than we think of other people? Is when you have a toilet paper shortage. What happens? <laughs> Seriously. You, we, we hoard, and I have, I have a stockpile of toilet paper, all right? I ordered toilet paper from Sam's Club like it was going out of style, right? But you go to the store, and people are filling their carts up with toilet paper. And you realize what that means, right? You're saying that I'm not going to leave anything for the person that's coming after me. That's pride. You, you have a shortage of gasoline, right? There's a cyber attack, and a pipeline gets shut down. And everyone rushes to the gas pumps, and they have tanks and canisters in the bed of their truck filling them up. And what are they doing? They're saying, I'm more important than the person after me. Have a cyber attack on the meat cutting facilities, the meat processors, and see people run to the grocery stores and hoard meat, and they're taking it for themselves, not leaving anything for the person that comes after them. They're prideful. They're arrogant. They're thinking only of themselves. You don't have to be rich to be pride. You should come to KOM sometime, and you should see we're passing food out, passing boxes and bags of groceries out and how many people come up and they say I need four or five or six and there's a line of people and if I give that person three or four or five or six boxes or bags that means someone at the end of the line isn't getting anything we as humans have a tendency to think of ourselves and to not think of other people William Temple an Anglican priest put it this way he said I make myself in a host of ways the center of the universe. I make myself more important than the rest. Pride is dangerous. Not only that, but I want you to understand something today that God hates pride. The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word oppose means to stand in opposition to, to make yourself an enemy of. God is an enemy of those who are filled with pride. And yet the king succumbs to this. He's baited into this trap. They flatter him with pride And he succumbs to it. He signs the edict. Now look at what happens here. Verse 10, Daniel chapter 6. Let's look at the devotion here of Daniel. Let's just read a couple verses together. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So there's this decree that goes forward. The king signs it into law. Anyone who's praying is going to be taken and they're going to be cast, thrown into a den of lions. 
What does Daniel do immediately? He goes back to his special prayerful place. And you can see the devotion of Daniel in this. It doesn't matter what punishment awaits me. It doesn't matter how I'm going to be persecuted. It doesn't matter what you do to me in life. Right, you, the, the, the decree goes forth. Daniel goes back to his prayer closet. He goes back to the upper room. He knows what has been said. But what does he do? He opens the window for the world to see him worship the Lord. The world has not called, called you to worship behind closed doors. The world has not called you to pray behind closed doors. God has called you to be bold. What does it say in Matthew chapter 5? It says, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're going to live for Jesus, live boldly for him. Don't go up into the prayer closet and close the door because the decree goes forth. You let that light shine. You shine brightly, boldly for the Lord, right? It says he opens the window towards Jerusalem. Why does he open the window towards Jerusalem? Because, and you can read this later, write this down, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, you can see when the the, uh, temple is being dedicated by Solomon, that he prays this prayer and he says, God, when your people turn their attention, turn their affection, turn their hearts back to the city and back to this temple, then listen to their prayers and hear from heaven and bless them. What was special about Jerusalem? What was special about the temple? That is where the Spirit of God resided. So Daniel, he prays towards Jerusalem because that's where God's Spirit was. Here's what's amazing today is the Scripture says today that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray towards Jerusalem. You can go get in that prayer corner and God is right there in the room with you. It says that he got down on his knees. There was a posture that Daniel had when he prayed. In desperation, he was on his knees. He had this special place and he had a a posture that he took. I, I don't know if you guys have a special place. My special place, and I'll tell you, is next to my bed. And when I'm in a point of desperation, I just, well, sometimes I'm not even on my knees. I'm just lying there on my stomach before the Lord. And there's a a leg of my bed, and I'll cling to the leg, kind of like the the way they would do. They would would cling to the ark of the altar. They would cling there to it, and they would just cling to the the presence of God, to the the altar. And, And that's what I'll do. I'll just cling to the altar in desperation, crying out to God. And God meets me in that place, a desperate plea for God's help. It says that he prayed three times a day. He had a pattern for his prayer. A posture, yes. A place, yes. But also there was a pattern for his prayer. He would wake up in the morning and the first thing he would do, do you know what he would do? He would seek God in prayer. Do you know what he would do in the middle of the day at lunch when no one else was around? He'd seek God in prayer. Do you know what he would do at the end of his day when he was about ready to to go to sleep for the night? He would seek God through prayer. Morning, noon, and night, he would seek God through prayer. This is what it says in Psalm chapter 55. But I call to the Lord, excuse me, but I call to God, and the Lord will save me evening and morning and at noon. I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Prayer is so powerful. If you will get alone with God, if you'll develop a place, a position, and a pattern for your prayer life, God will meet with you in that place. 
It says, though, that he went up to this place and he prayed just like he'd done previously, just like every other day. The people knew Daniel's practice was to go to this upper room, to open the window, to face Jerusalem, to face the temple, to face the presence of God, to get on his knees and to pray. They knew his schedule. And he continued to do it even though they had forbidden it. Even though he knew he could be thrown into a den of lions, he continued to pray as he had always prayed. This last year has been difficult for all of us. When the government says you cannot worship the Lord corporately, what is the church to do? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977